0: Our one word sermon title for today in this prayer series. We're about halfway through this series now. And our one word sermon title for today is earnest. And earnest is defined as being serious and being sincere in both conviction and effort. And I don't think I have to explain that to you, I think you understand the difference in doing something earnestly from your heart versus doing something flippantly and going through the motions. You you see that in yourself, and you also see that in people around you. You see that in relationships that you have. You see it play out every day. People that are earnest in what they believe and what they're doing and people that are just half-hearted Doing what they know they should do, but, but not do, doing it very diligently. Last week, the challenge in the message was to ask God for every concern of your heart. For everything. To ask God, because that is what He invites you to do. Today, we're going to go a step further into that idea by asking, How do we ask God? In particular, how earnestly do you pray when you ask God to work in your life and the lives of others? If you do ask Him for things, what does that look like? Is this kind of half hearted, flippant? God, do this. I know I need to pray. God, please do this and, and move on. Or is there an earnestness? Is there an eagerness? Is there a passion? To your prayers. Do you pray anticipating God is going to answer? That's the question I want to put before us today. Do we pray with eagerness and passion? Do we anticipate this matters and God will answer? Or do we pray kind of half-heartedly? Unconvinced? that God is actually going to hear and respond. That's what is before us today. I want to say that when we talk about God answering prayer and praying with earnestness, we know as the people of God who have any type of maturity about them, that God isn't always going to answer in the manner or even the timing that we have in mind. But that doesn't mean He's not going to answer. Does God answer every prayer you pray? My response to that is absolutely. He answers every one of them. Now, what that answer is may be different from what you anticipated. The timing may be different, but I believe He answers every prayer. I, I believe I pray diligently for our gathering today. I ask God for a lot of things for today. I ask God for two very specific things today. As of this point, I don't believe that I have seen an answer to those two things. In the manner that I was anticipating or expecting. It doesn't mean then. That when I pray the answers are random. That God sometimes answers these but not these. Doesn't mean that he wasn't listening. It does mean that what I prayed he heard and he responded to. But his answer may be different than what I was anticipating. But his answer will, he does answer and and his response will come and it will come in the best way. What he is doing and how he is going to answer will be far different than what I imagined. On the other hand, I do think there will be times where we will pray specifically And God will answer in the exact way that we were anticipating and in the exact timing. And we just know that as the people of God. Prayer and answer to prayer is not random. It's not that some prayers work and some don't. And we have to understand that or we won't ask about everything. And we have to understand that or we won't pray with anticipation. So, how do we pray and do we pray earnestly? I want to make the case from you, uh, the case to you from our sermon text this morning in Luke 11 that Josh just read. This life truth, if you're a note taker, Jesus is not only concerned with the form of our asking, but also the disposition of our asking. He's not just concerned with the form of our prayers, what they sound like, the words we use. But he is also concerned with the disposition, the personality of how we pray. What we say when we pray is important. Words are important. But prayer is composed of more than just words. There is a character to how you pray. You have likely in your life been in the presence of someone who was praying for you or about a situation out loud. You could hear them praying and what really left an impression upon you wasn't exactly what they said, but the manner in which they prayed. That what impressed you was their heartfelt sincerity. What impressed you was their confident hope. And I don't mean impressed as in you thought much of them. I mean it left an impression on you. Maybe, even to the point that you were like, "I want to pray like that where did Where did they learn to pray that way? Jesus cares about the disposition of our prayers. Because Jesus cares about the disposition of our heart. He's always shown concern for what is happening in our souls. So Titus 2.14, I think I referenced this passage in an earlier sermon in this series, but Titus 2.14 says that Jesus gave himself for us, gave his life for us to redeem us from sin, to purify us from sin, and to make us zealous for good works. I want you to really hear that language. Does it say Jesus redeemed us and purified us so we would do good works? He redeemed us and purifies us so we will be zealous for good works. God not only aims for you to do good works that bear fruit, to serve Him and serve others by what you do, but God aims that you will be passionate about good works. That you will be eager to serve Him. Eager to serve His church. Eager to use your spiritual gifts. Eager to gather with the body. Zealous for it. And I assure you, one of those good works we are to be passionate for is prayer. Not just we should pray, but we should be zealous to pray. Eager to pray. And yes, that is a work Jesus must do. That is what we talked about week 1. Jesus must come into the temple and turn over all the tables and drive out the money changers to purify worship. And our hearts the temple. And there are things he needs to purify and drive out. But you don't learn to be eager in prayer by just waiting for Jesus to zap you with eagerness. You pursue it. There are things in your life you know. If you wait to pray five minutes before you go to sleep, you're not going to be very zealous for it. So you you know that and you train yourself to put yourself in a position where you will be eager to pray. We talked about that earlier. Do the things that warm your spirit to prayer. So yes, it's a work that Jesus does. But it's also something that you must discipline yourself for to be earnest in praying. So in Luke 11, Jesus' disciples come to him. This is the context of the passage. And they say to him, teach us to pray. And they say, teach us to preach. Teach us to do these miracles. In, In Luke 11, they said, teach us to pray. And I think the assumption that we can make is they meant teach us to pray like you do. Because one of the most, one of the definitive pieces of evidence that you and I should be dedicated to prayer in this life is that Jesus on the earth was dedicated to prayer. The Son of God was dedicated to praying to his Father. Hebrews 5 7 says that in the days Jesus lived in the flesh, he prayed and pleaded with the one who could save him from death with loud cries and tears. And his disciples saw that. They saw Him go off alone to pray. They came across Him when He was praying. They heard Him praying. They saw how He did it. They saw Jesus relying on prayer for power and life on the earth. And they said, you know what? If Jesus needs prayer for power and life on the earth, we certainly do. Jesus, teach us to pray like you do. And in response to their asking... Jesus does two things, and I I want you to realize that in, in Luke 11, in this text that Josh read from verse 5 to verse 13, this is all in response to the question, Jesus, teach us to pray. That's the context of this verse. So he does two things. First of all, he teaches them a form of prayer. He gives them a model prayer. Not one to just be mindlessly recited, but one to help us understand the form that our own prayers should take. We're very familiar with this. It's called the Lord's Prayer. He says when you pray, you pray to a father. You pray to a father in community. Our Father who is in heaven. Keep that in mind when you pray. He says, when you pray, you should pray with God's holiness in mind. Hallowed be thy name. When you pray, you should pray for his kingdom to come on the earth. You should pray that our world would come in line with his kingdom. You should pray for his will to be done. You should pray that your will comes in line with his will. You should pray for your needs. You should pray that He will supply every need you have. You should confess your sins like we did earlier this morning. You should pray for the ability to forgive others who sin against you just like God forgives you when you sin against Him. You should pray that God will take your hand and lead you where He wants you to go out of temptation and into walking in the light. And you should pray for God's protection and His deliverance from the traps of the enemy. Because the enemy is always trying to trap you as a believer. So you should pray God will protect you and deliver you from those traps. This is a model prayer. So that's that's the first answer Jesus gives. Keep these things in mind as you pray. But He doesn't stop with the teaching. He then tells a story that is still part of the teaching. The story that he tells, the central point of that story is summarized in verse 9. He is teaching us how we should pray, the disposition of our asking. That we should pray in a way where we ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, knowing and anticipating that God will answer. He will open the door and we will find what we're looking for. And that's the point of the story that he tells as part of this instruction on prayer. So in your notes, I want us to think through what it means to be earnest in prayer. Serious and convicted in prayer by analyzing a little bit this story in Luke 11 and bringing out of it what Jesus wants us to see about prayer. In particular, how we ask God. Should we ask God for things? Yes. What things should we ask Him for? Everything. The only thing you shouldn't ask God for are things that are against His will. And if they're against His will, you should not desire them and you should not pray for them. But if they are in line with His will, you should pray for everything. Now, how do we pray? What's the disposition that we should lead our heart into and discipline ourselves for? How do we ask God for requests? Number one, be bold in asking. Be bold in asking. That is part of the disposition of your prayer life. It should be boldness. The illustration that Jesus uses right away poses a question to you. Would you go to a friend at midnight and ask them to meet a need for you? Would you be willing... In a desperate situation to go wake up a friend, call them, text them, go to their home, and ask for them to help you. And of course, the larger question becomes, not just are you that bold in seeking help from a friend, but are you that bold in prayer? Are you that bold in asking God for your request? Does that type of boldness show up in how you pray? Do you run to God to ask Him for every concern and need you have, no matter how small, no matter how great? Are you bold to ask Him before anything else? Josh said that his illustration was not, the purpose of it was not, don't go to the doctor when you're sick. And he said, if you're sick, go to the doctor. And I certainly agree with that. in that, I do believe that everything we have is derived from what God gave us. I struggle a little bit sometimes, and I don't want to get into this because it's not my nose. but I struggle sometimes with the ideas of what's from God and what's not. When you think in Genesis, God said to man, subdue the earth. It means make it work for you. So there are certain things that we have that God has given us that are from His hand that help improve our lives and our health. They're ultimately gifts from Him. But let me make this addendum. So I feel okay in saying this to you. I think in 98% of the cases, we should pray first. I say 98 because, like, if you sever a hand, you should probably pray on the way. Maybe I'm not being bold enough, but that's my thought. But I think in the majority of your life, you should pray first. And I think there'll be times where you will find God will say, yes, you don't need to go anywhere. You don't need any other intervention." And He will answer and heal. I not only think that will happen, I know that happens. I know it's happened in our midst. And I look forward to you hearing a story about that soon. Do you run to God to ask for every concern and need, no matter how small or how great? Are you audacious enough to believe, I can go to God with that and I can ask Him? That's how Hebrews, I'm not just getting this from this text. I'm not just taking a narrative and saying, yes, pray boldly. Hebrews 4.16 instructs us in this way. Boldly draw near the throne of grace. With confidence draw near the throne of grace. Go to God. Yes, the writer could have said draw near to God, but he, God had him add that word. Boldly draw near God. That indicates how you should go to him. Now, this is not a boldness that demands something of God. This is not a boldness that is overly casual, overly familiar. You can be bold and humble. You can be bold and remember that you're approaching the throne of the King of the universe. But what I think it means is that you can go to God without timidity. Without fear, without reservation of any kind. You don't have to hold back. God has given you permission to come to Him and express your heart. God has given you permission to come to Him and pour yourself out to Him. And pour your request out to Him. And tell Him about your needs. He has given you permission to be bold, not fearful, not half-hearted, not wavering in wondering, is He going to hear me or not? He says, come and give it all to me. Pour it out to me. Lay it before me. Are you audacious enough to believe that and do it? That's the first question in being earnest. Tim Keller A pastor out of New York, he said one time, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. and ask them for a glass of water is their child. And we have been given that kind of access to God. You can wake him up. He doesn't actually sleep. The illustration will fall apart there. But you go to him at any time, day or night, and ask him for anything. Jesus wants us to take advantage of the divine privilege He acquired for us on the cross. He acquired for us the ability to go before God with everything, and Jesus wants us to take advantage of that. So, number one, be bold. Number two, be persistent in your asking. Be bold in your asking, be persistent in your asking. So Jesus goes on to say All right, if you're bold enough to go to your friend at midnight and wake him up for what you need, that's good. But very likely your friend's going to turn you down. There's a really good chance your friend's not going to answer that text or that call or they're going to yell at you from the other other side of the door. They're going to tell you it's late. It's not my issue. Should have been better prepared. Sorry, can't help. We're already in for the night. I'm not getting up. I already fixed my ice cream. I already got my YouTube show on. I'm done. They're not going to give you anything. And then Jesus says But what will eventually get you what you want from your friend is your failure to stop asking you are going to eventually win them over or wear them out and they'll get up and give you what you're asking. The ESV uses the word impudence. It's a word that means persistence. Jesus said, because you ask with impudence, shameless persistence. The CSB we read this morning, that's what it says, shameless boldness shameless persistence the picture is if you're willing to keep asking you're eventually going to win your friend or wear them out and they'll give you what you need now i want you to know as josh has already indicated the point of this is not wear god out until he tires of you and answers you there's a comparison jesus is making The point is not that your persistence will overcome God's reluctance. The point is that unlike your friend who is evil, God is not reluctant to answer you. He is eager to answer you. And so if you can wear out your evil friend who is reluctant to give you what you've asked for, But he will eventually answer you. How much more will your Father in heaven, who is eager to give you what you ask for, how much more will your persistence be rewarded by him? That's the point. As one writer put it, prayer is laying hold of God's willingness to bless you. He is willing, and prayer is the means by which you lay a hold of his willingness. Jesus tells a very similar story in Luke 18. In Luke 18, the story is about a persistent widow who is going to an evil, reluctant judge who has a her case has been before him and he has not moved on her case. He is not cited in her favor. And this widow keeps going to him and going to him and saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally, the evil, reluctant judge says, this lady is wearing me out. I'm going to give her what she's asking for. I'm going to give her justice. And Luke clarifies In chapter 18, the purpose of Jesus telling that story to his disciples was that they might always pray and not lose heart. The reason he told that story is that we might always pray and not lose heart. Because again, God is not like the unrighteous, reluctant judge. God loves to give justice to his children. That's what Jesus said in Luke 18. He loves to give justice to His children who cry out to Him day and night. So keep praying and don't give up. Why do we have to be told that? Why do we have to be told? Always pray, don't lose heart. Because sometimes there are delays in you seeing answers to your prayers. Sometimes you lose the willingness to pray. And He wants you to keep praying and not give up. Sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. And Jesus wants you to express faith. He even wants you to strengthen your faith by not giving up in prayer. Your faith is displayed when you keep praying and keep asking, even when you haven't seen an answer. Your faith is strengthened when you do that. Jesus, at the end of that story in Luke 18, asks a question. Will I find that kind of faith on the earth? Will the Son of Man find that kind of faith? That persistent, trusting, hopeful, even in the midst of delays, faith that never gives up believing God is going to answer. Jesus says, am I going to find that faith when I look for it? Am I going to find that faith in you when I look for it? Am I going to find that kind of faith in Agape when I see that little building that represents that little church on that little hill and that little community? Am I going to find that kind of great faith that keeps persisting and keeps trusting even when there's delays? It takes faith to believe that when God delays, it's always for a good purpose. It takes faith to believe that when the answer doesn't come exactly like you pictured, that God is still listening and still working. Sometimes He delays because He's teaching us something that we can only learn while we wait. Sometimes there's a delay because He is molding our thinking and our desires to His own. Sometimes there's a delay because He's working to put everything in line. Sometimes there's a delay because His purposes are higher than our purposes. Which is what Peter wrote about in 2 Peter 3.9. I say to you that I believe the biblical model when there is a delay is to pray bold, faithful, persevering prayers until you see breakthrough. Until those prayers are answered or until God changes your heart for what you're asking for, or until the day you see Jesus. I think that's the model. Keep praying, keep believing, don't give up until there's breakthrough and He answers, or until He changes you and you can say, oh, I I understand now. I need to pray this way. Or until you see Jesus. George Mueller lived in the 1800s. If you're a person who reads biography, you'd probably do well to find a biography about George Mueller. He was an evangelist. He was an orphanage director in England. It is said that he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And the stories of how George Mueller relied on prayer for everything that he needed and those orphans needed is astounding. Reminds me a lot of the story that Josh told. George Mueller gave one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's in your handout. Be assured, church, if you walk with God and you look to Him and you expect help from Him, He will never fail you. Be assured of that. I want to read you an excerpt from the journal of George Mueller. In November of 1844... I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every single day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of those five were converted. I thanked God, and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, And the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three. And I went on praying for the other two. Those two remain unconverted. Thirty-six years later, George Mueller wrote this. The other two, sons of my friends, are still not converted. But I hope in God. I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. The days and the times differ, but the story goes from multiple sources that both of those men were saved. One of them, 52 years After George Mueller started praying for him. And only after George Mueller had died. But he was saved. Jesus told his disciples. You ought always pray. And never give up. That is what it means to be earnest in prayer. Number three. Be urgent in your asking. Be bold in your asking, be persistent in your asking, be urgent in your asking. We have to kind of put ourselves in this ancient Near East culture to even understand the implications of this story. Most of us would probably be like, if somebody showed up at my house at midnight, I'm not giving them bread. I'm going to say, why are you here? What's the deal? But in that culture, reputation in your community was a huge part of the quality of your life. Being well thought of in your community was a huge part of being accepted and how well you live. Not just financially, but just having a good quality of life. Showing hospitality to guests was a matter of bringing pride to your village or bringing shame to your village. If a traveler showed up, they knocked on your door, there was an expectation to show them hospitality. And if no one in your village was hospitable, the whole village would have the reputation of being an unhospitable place it was a big deal this man's knocking was a desperate plea for an answer he needed his neighbor to come through or else he might face shame in his own community a difficult consequence and so jesus brings out the application of this passage of this story in verse 9 where essentially he says ask seek knock And keep on going. Show the same kind of desperation and urgency when you pray that that friend did when he was banging on the door of his neighbor. Because he didn't want to be shamed in his community and so he was asking for help and he was asking urgently. Pray that way. Ask, keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. James, in his letter in the New Testament, wrote... The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now you meditate on that verse. Prayer is working. There's a way in which when you pray, it is working. It is working out what God is going to do. And there is great power in a righteous person who prays. Who are the righteous? those who believe upon Jesus and have received His forgiveness and are clothed in His righteousness. And then James gives an example. He says, I'll tell you about a man like that. His name was Elijah. He prayed fervently with passion and urgency to God for a miracle, and it was done. And then James says, just so you don't get the wrong idea, Elijah was just a man. He's just a man. He's just like you. He was a man called by God to pray in a particular way for a particular thing. And James uses that as an example of how we should pray fervently, with passion, earnestly. You should ask God in a way that shows a sense of urgency as you pray. You should ask God the way that you would if you truly believed, if God doesn't answer, I'm sunk. If He doesn't come through here, I have no hope. We should pray about that, about everything. Knocking and seeking in a way that shows God, if you don't come through, I'm going to be lost. Praying like you really mean it. Praying like you expect God will answer, just like He did Elijah. Which is the last point for today. Jesus teaches us to be expectant in our asking. We are to be bold in our asking, we are to be persistent in our asking, be urgent in our asking, and be expectant in our asking. Look at this promise from Jesus in verse 10. To you who pray boldly and persistently and urgently, when you ask of God, you will receive from God. You will. Everyone who asks, receives. I challenge you, do you believe that? Does that show in your prayer life? Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks will find. The one who knocks, God will open the door. Here's listen. This is how I pray. This is how I am prone to pray. I'm willing to bet some of you are prone to pray this way. Even if we can discipline ourselves. I'll pray first. I pray. Okay, didn't really see anything. God probably wants me to fix it. God wants me to go do it. Now, I'm not saying that we, we aren't to move and we're not to act. But Sometimes we, we try everything before prayer, like Josh talked about. Sometimes we pray and it's really quick and then we go do the thing that we think we should do. God says, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, I'll answer. You and I should pray with expectation. God, I've got time to wait, so I'm going to wait. God, I've got to make an answer. I've got to, I got, to, I got to come up with a response by tomorrow. But I'm expecting you're going to give me one. I expect you're going to lead me. Your faith is not a weapon to mold God's will to your will. But your faith is rewarded. You pray with faith, it is rewarded. It is rewarded. In your notes, it is the pleasure of God to give His children what is good. It's the pleasure of God. The Bible says He delights in giving His children what is good. That's the whole comparison of this story. God delights in giving good gifts to His children. He's not the reluctant friend. Jesus is going to say in the next chapter of Luke, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you His kingdom. God delights. It brings God pleasure to give you His kingdom. He doesn't reluctantly give it. It brings pleasure to the heart of God to give Josh Dean His kingdom, to give Ray Grief His kingdom, to give Bria Cosper His kingdom. To give Laurie Knowles His kingdom. It brings pleasure to His heart to do that. So if He is willing to give you His kingdom, the riches of all of His divine power, everything that He has created, will He withhold anything from you that is good? So when you pray, pray with that in mind. Pray with that kind of faith. That you expect God to answer and move in a way that's good. God, here is what I'm specifically asking for. And I expect you're going to answer. And God, even if it's not exactly like I'm asking for, I expect you're going to answer. And I can't wait to see what you do. Because it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. Jesus then speaks to fathers in the crowd. There are fathers there. He says, you know what? You men that are fathers, you love your children. Those of you who are in this crowd, you're good fathers. And as mistake-prone as you are, you know how to bless your children. There's not a one of you here who's a good dad that would answer your child asking you for something good and you would give them something that would harm them. Not one of you would do that. You will give them what's helpful. So, if you who are mistake prone, treat your children that way, how much more is God the Father able and willing to bless His children who run to Him? He will withhold nothing good. He will even give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. That's how this text ends. He will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. That's the final promise. What does that mean? We're running out of time, but what does that mean? Because every believer has the Holy Spirit, right? If you're a believer, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you and working in you sanctification. So why would Jesus say that? No believers without the Spirit, so why would Jesus say He'll give you the Spirit if you ask? I think it's because what you see unfold in the New Testament is an instruction, be filled with the Spirit. As in, be continually filled by the Spirit. So what I think that means is that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the reality of His presence, does not mean that you have all of His power, all of His guidance, all of His gifts, and all of His influence that you can have. I believe there is a way in which you can live with low influence of the Spirit and there is a way in which you can live filled with the Spirit where He is greatly influencing and leading and empowering you. That indication is here and elsewhere that you will have as much of the power of the Spirit as you ask for. So J.C. Ryle, the way he put it, Is prayer obtains fresh and continued outpourings of the Spirit. He alone begins the work of grace in a man's heart. He alone can carry it forward and make it prosper. But the good Spirit loves to be earnestly asked. And those who ask most will have the most of His influence. So agape, the last fill in there, ask often and ask earnestly for fresh, new, power from the Holy Spirit expecting you will receive him. What if the fruitfulness of your spiritual gift is in line with how much you ask God for the Holy Spirit? What if your desire to walk in joy or patience or self-control, which are all a fruit of the Spirit? What if your ability to walk in those things is only in accordance with how much you ask for it? What if you say, "God, give me joy," and you go off your day with a half-hearted prayer for joy? What if you earnestly prayed for the Holy Spirit and joy? What if you earnestly, boldly, persistently urgently, with expectation, prayed for the self-control of the Holy Spirit, the patience of the Holy Spirit. If someone could see the countenance of how you ask for something, if they could see the countenance of how you ask for the Spirit, would they believe that you really want Him? That's the question. Do you boldly, persistently, urgently knock and seek and ask that God will answer. And are you determined to not give up until He does? That's the person who will have the most influence of the Spirit. Because God never withholds from His children who ask. And I ask the worship team to come up. We should ask. We should ask earnestly. We should ask for the Holy Spirit. we should be convinced by the disposition of our praying that we really want what we pray for. If someone else had the opportunity to see us asking, not out of show, but if somehow they came across us and they saw how we asked God for the Holy Spirit and for the kingdom, they should be convinced, wow, they really want this. Not because... We're trying to prove ourselves because we're nothing without Christ, but because this is how Jesus responded when His disciples said, teach, teach me to pray. Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears His days in the flesh. You and I, I'll end where I started, you and I know what it means to earnestly want something and ask for it, and we know what it means to half-heartedly want something and ask for It is the pleasure of God to give the kingdom to those who earnestly ask. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to start this month of prayer together, pleading for the lost. I'm going to have some prayer partners over to my left. I'm not discounting anything else that you need to pray for. I'm going to do what I did last week. I'm going to come over here to to my right. I'm going to stand. And if you want to talk about your relationship with Jesus, anything going on with your, your relationship with Him, and you're bold enough to come and let's pray together and set aside a time to talk later, then we'll start that process today. If you're watching this later on replay, you contact us at the church. We want to talk to you as Jesus is moving in your heart. Because it is only by believing upon Him for the forgiveness of your sins that you have these privileges of going before God in prayer. But our aim today, next week when we gather, on the 14th when we gather, the Sunday after that when we gather, our aim is to pray for people who don't know Jesus. I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to think about people in your life who don't know Christ. And I want you to go to war on their behalf in prayer. And I will invite you this morning to do what you feel led to do to display, not to others, but to God, your earnestness. Your earnestness in praying for people who don't know Christ. I don't need to tell you what that looks like. But I am laying before you earnestly pray for the law. So, Father, I pray right now that as we go before you, whether we come to the altar or we go to a prayer partner or we pray where we are. God, I'm not looking for something visible so that we can be proud of something we've done today, but I am asking You to stir us to earnest prayer. God, there are people in our lives right now, there are people in this community right now, they are lost, and if today was the day that they took their last breath, they would be lost. And God, that is sorrowful. It is hard. I ask that You would break our hearts that we might, with earnestness, pray for people to be converted and not give up. I ask, God, that You would bring people to our minds right now to labor in prayer pleading that You will save them. And even the benefit of that in this community, of people that are nameless to us and faceless to us, but are in the sphere of influence of this church, that those prayers would go to them and they would be saved. And God, I boldly ask that we would see the harvest of these prayers. Father, if it is 52 years from now, people would be saved that we are praying for. God, if I may, I ask for the sake of our encouragement and for the worship of Your name that we could see even those conversions now. That our friends and our family and our community might have many years to live and walk holiness God help us to earnestly pray right now and hear those prayers and answer in Jesus